It's always good to be here, and it's good to see a pretty full house this morning. Amen. How many of you are in love with Jesus? Amen. Uh, he's he's uh, my hero, uh, my Savior, my Lord, my best friend, and uh, I so appreciate him and uh, the relationship through the Holy Spirit that we can have with Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He, um, he never turns his back on us. He never leaves us. Uh, he never gets tired of us and says, oh, I'm going to just take a break from you today. But uh, he is always there ministering to us and helping us as we go along the way. A quick uh, testimony before I get into the word uh, this morning is uh, Pastor Guy was sharing about tithing and giving and uh, I've been a tither for 55 years, and uh, I can stand before you and say I've never missed my tithes. I've been faithful to God and beyond. God's blessed me to be able to give way beyond my tithe, and I am so thankful for that. And um, I was raised pretty poor. There was nine kids, my mom and dad, and my dad raised us on a minimum wage job with one hand. He had one hand gone, shot off when he was about 12 years old, and a hunting accident. So he raised all nine of us kids, and uh, we was raised pretty poor. We always had enough, but if it wouldn't have been for a garden and a few chickens, uh, we would have went pretty hungry at times. And of course, wild game that my brothers hunted in the woods. So I was raised pretty poor, and I was also raised that money meant very little to me. It really didn't mean much of anything to me. I never had much, so I never had to worry about much. And um, after I got saved, I was 18 years old when I accepted Christ. And uh, David said, it was good that I know the Lord in my youth. And I tell you, the quicker you can know the Lord, the younger, the better off you're going to be in your life. And uh, in relationship to tithes and giving, God had just, one of my gifts, my spiritual gifts is giving. And God had just always blessed me to give. I just gave, and I just enjoyed it, and I was happy in doing it, and we had given several automobiles away over the years, and um, I remember one time there was a black evangelist at our church. Her name was Norma Smith, and uh, she was a sweet spirit, wonderful speaker, and I just loved her, and uh, I had just parked an old 61 Ford that was an oil burner. And I bought a 58 Buick Special. It was gray on the bottom and pink on top. It had pink uh, rolled and pleated interior. It was a beautiful machine. And, of course, it ran great. And I remember she, we, we was in evangel a meeting with her for two weeks, uh, every night for two weeks. And uh, I was in service, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, Give her that car you just bought. And I said, I'd just assume not, Lord. But... Uh, <laughs> You know how sometimes we question God, but not very long. And I gave her the car and went back to buy it, driving the oil burner for a while. And uh, I did that on a fairly regular basis, things like that. And um, in 1997, uh, my wife's uncle passed away in Klamath Falls, Oregon. He'd never been married. We didn't know the man. But long story short, he left my wife and I $41,000. And I was able to come home and buy a brand new car and pay cash for it for the first time in my life. So honor to God, glory to God. I can tell you, God is faithful. 
don't, don't never not be faithful to God in your tithes and your offerings because God's got ways of blessing you beyond what you can even comprehend or imagine or think. And some of you have heard the testimony and some of you haven't, but we was really striving in uh, early 2000 uh, to reach a lot of youth in Jerseyville, and we had a lot of bus ministry, and we was just really working for the Lord and really busing like 300 kids uh, on a Wednesday night to church, teens and kids. And we had quite a program going, and uh, a guy came from North Carolina and saw what we was doing, and his nine-year-old daughter started coming to church. And she loved the church, and the man finally asked me, he said, I don't know what you guys are doing, but he said, I want to take you up in my airplane. I want to take you out to dinner, and I want to talk to you. So I went out to dinner with him and talked to him, and long story short, the Lord healed his marriage while he was here. He moved from North Carolina, and when he got healed, he was ready to move back. So when he got ready to move back, he called me one Sunday and said, we want to come to your house today, Sunday after church. We've got something for the church. And he came and he gave us two houses and quite a bit of property and we sold it for $265,000. One gift and that's how we got into, added onto our facility, uh, bought all of our chairs and sound equipment and a lot of neat things uh, at the church. And I'm telling you, believe God. Put your faith in God. I told Matt with the church here, it only takes one million dollar giver to have a million bucks. And I know pastors that have received million dollar gifts quite a bit. One of them is Tommy Barnett from Arizona. And I've heard Tommy's testimony and other men uh, and women of God. And uh, God owns it all. And he's able to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing greater than you can even imagine, from the smallest things to the greatest things. God loves you. God's on your side. How many of you know today you've got a wonderful pastor? <laughs> pastor Matt is a wonderful guy. Him and his wife, we love them very much and appreciate them. Mike and Christy and all the leadership team here are doing a wonderful job here and in Jerseyville. And we just say thank you from the bottom of our, our hearts. And we hope they're getting some R&R because believe you me, church, they need it. Amen. So uh, we're going to get right into the word of the Lord this morning. This is not a subject I picked. Matt picked this subject. And uh, we, are, we are doing the series uh, Walk the Walk. How many of you have been enjoying the series so far? Matt spoke on hypocrisy. Uh, Katie spoke on anger last week, and I'm assuming Matt probably spoke on anger here. Is that correct? Well, anyway, you'll be getting it one way or another, but I know that's what Katie spoke on in Jerseyville. I wasn't able to make the service last week, so I know that's what she spoke on because I asked some folks. But um, I'm coming today, and we're doing this series, Walk the Walk, out of the book of James. How many of you are Bible thumpers? That means you spend a lot of time in the Bible and reading and studying and really looking at the Word. Well, the Lord made it on, laid it on Pastor Matt's heart, and I certainly agree with him and uh, the direction he's taking the churches and uh, what he's doing in the area of subjects. So the book of James is uh, quite a book, five chapters, and there's so much crammed into those five chapters. And I just want to highlight a little bit as we get into this this morning, 
there's three prominent James in the New Testament. And we believe that it was the Lord's brother James that Paul mentions in Galatians 1.19 that wrote this epistle, uh, the brother of, of, of Jesus. And the main theme is practical religion uh, to the 12 tribes and to the Jews that were scattered outside of Jerusalem, all the Jewish people outside of Jerusalem. And he addressed this letter to, and of course, you know, it's also for us uh, whom the ends of the age has come upon. And he's dealing with practical religion manifesting itself in good works contrasted with mere profession of faith. And that's why Matt spoke on um, hypocrisy and saying and not doing, believing and not living. And really, James, he gets into this. And you could really divide this book, these five chapters, into two parts. And the first one is about what is true Christianity and what is true religion. And he talks about joy and patience in the midst of trials. He talks about acceptance of our allotment in life and the sovereignty of God, the providential of God. He talks about enduring temptation. And he talks about where temptation comes from. And he says it comes mostly from our lust. He talked about recognition of the divine source of all blessings, a spiritual hearing, deliberating speech, and patience under provocation. He talked about forsaking all evil um, and the meek receiving saving truth and grace, searching after truth and practicing it. He talked about purity, good works, demonstrating faith, cooperating with and perfecting faith, and heavenly wisdom, which, oh God, how we need that heavenly wisdom. So we're talking about the marks of true Christianity that we live every day in our lives. And then he, he turns and he goes to the marks of false profession and false religion, carelessness and forgetting about hearing the word of God. Remember in James, he talks about looking in the mirror of the word and turning away and forgetting what we saw. But we are to continue therein as we look at the mirror and the prism of God's word as it reflects back to us what God intends for us to be and how he intends for us to live. The semblance of religion accompanied by the unbridled tongue. He talks about the tongue. I was kind of hoping Matt would give me that subject, the tongue, but he didn't. Uh, respect of persons, honoring the rich and despising the poor, partial obedience to the law, unmercifulness, not showing mercy, if you show no mercy, you get no mercy. So we want to make sure we always show mercy. We always want to make sure we give forgiveness. Therein, we get it back. And how many of you know we all need it? We all need mercy. We all need forgiveness and the love of God coming our way. He talked about mere profession of faith, unaccountable by acts of mercy and help, inactive faith, I can't believe all this stuff is packed in these five short books in the book of James. But it's all there as you read it and study it. The unbridled tongue and the destruction that it can bring, which is 
unbelievable how, how bad of a fire a little tongue can kindle. Amen? Envy and strife and satanic wisdom, unrest and unholy passions, unanswered prayer and worldliness, evil speaking and uncharitable judgment, presumption in arranging future business enterprises, neglect of known duty, and then finally, warnings and exhortations and instructions, warning to the rich concerning future misery, respecting and hoarding wealth and withholding the wages from the poor, concerning pleasure and seeking persecution of the righteous, exhortation in view of the coming of the Lord, to be patient and steadfast, refraining from murmuring against one another to follow the example of the prophet Job, patient endurance, instructing, respecting prayer and confession of faults and soul winning, prayer in time of trouble for the sick. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And if they have committed sin, they shall be forgiven. And then finally, the confession of faults and intercessory prayer, the effectual prayer of Elijah, and the duty of winning souls. That's all in the five chapters in the book of James. This is a thick book, and this one weighs about 20 pounds. I'm thinking about getting a lighter. I'm getting too old to carry this heavy thing. How's your sense of humor this morning? Good. Smile a while and give your face a rest. Raise your hands to the one you love the best. Reach right out to someone near. Shake their hand and smile. All right. Let's get into this word this morning. We are speaking to you on the subject of pride. Um, The Bible says a lot about the word the adjectives of pride and uh, the words of pride. And um, we are speaking from the text, James 4, 4 through 6, in your notes. It says, "Do do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he giveth more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, honoring you and your church this morning, your people everywhere. Lord God, Help us to recognize the subtlety of pride and the way it manifests and tries to come into our lives. Help us to be sensitive to humility, to your perfect example of what it meant to be humble. Lord, help us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to think soberly as God has dealt to every man and woman the measure of faith. Help us not to ever exceed that faith. And Lord, most of all, help us through your eyes 
and your truth to see who we are in your creation as sons and daughters of God. And help us, Lord, not to compare ourselves with others or measure ourselves with others and by others, but to be who we are, beautifully and wonderfully made in the image and the likeness of God, your children, each unique, beautiful and different, we are as you created us. And Lord, we just thank you right now. Open our spiritual eyes, open our ears, and let us receive what you would have us to receive from your holy word today, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I want to talk to you a little bit about this statement, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm going to talk to you about pride first, and we're going to end this today with humility because that's what we're after. But God resisting the proud, I don't know about you, but I want God on my side. David said, this one thing I know, God is for me. And I have known the past 55 years as I've lived for God, as a Christian since I was 18, God's on my side and God is for me. He wants the best for me. He has the best for me. And I don't I don't want God resisting me uh, because of pride. And when I was a young man, and I speak to you young people openly this morning, God said, I called you young men because you're strong, you old men because you're wise. And we young men, oh, I can't put myself in that category anymore, but uh, you young men, you're strong in yourself. So you have to be very careful because When I was 18, I thought I knew everything, could whip everybody, and could do anything in my life that I wanted to do. But the older I got, and the more I knew God, the more I found out I really needed the Lord in my life, and I needed to depend upon God, not my own strength, not what I thought, but upon what God declared and what God said. So I really encourage you young people today, seek the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing to have your youth and have your strength But uh, you need God's strength and God's wisdom and God's knowledge and God's help even at a young age in your life. So lean on him, draw close to him, and allow the Lord to strengthen you and hold you up and help you in your life. So this is a pretty serious thing about getting on the bad side of God and God resisting you. And I want to just give you a couple Bible examples and highlight What kind of trouble you can get into if you begin to resist God because of pride and being proud. And you pretty much know what pride is. It's arrogance. It's trying to do things without God or without knowledge or wisdom from other people even. Thinking that you within yourself, you know what's best. Uh, You believe you can handle it. One of the most favorite statements in America is, I can do that. Well, I found out, yeah, there is a lot I can do, but there's a whole lot I can't do. And I found out it's better to do it with God than without God. Could you say amen this morning? It's much better. So uh, Matt's definition that he gave me was, uh, it's two, it comes from two words, hyper, beyond, and over, and plain O to shine forth. Properly, it means to overshine, trying to be more than what God directs, 
that is going beyond the faith he imparts. So it's shining bright in yourself and trying to do more than you really can do. And it has many faces, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But I just want to talk to you about a few Bible examples and the trouble pride can get you into. And the first one I want to talk to you about is found in Daniel chapter 4, and the man's name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He'd accomplished great feats. His kingdom uh, had reached to the ends of the earth. His power was supreme. He had a, a lot of knowledge, and he was, he, he was building, a, he built a great kingdom. But one day, uh, he decided, and he made this statement in, the, in, this, in this text where we're at, Daniel 4, that uh, he was walking in his palace, and he said, look what I have done. Look at the kingdom I have built and the great things that I have accomplished. And because he did not give the glory, and Daniel spoke this to him, because you failed to acknowledge God and give God the glory, this resist, you resisting God, this is what's going to happen to you. Your hair is going to grow like feathers. How many anybody wants hair to grow like feathers? Your nails are going to grow like bird's claws. And you're going to live on all four hands and knees for seven years. The dew's going to fall on you. You're going to eat grass like an ox. And you're going to live that way for seven years. And this is exactly what Daniel told him. You're going to live that way until you acknowledge that it's the God of heaven that raises kings up and puts kings down. It's the God of heaven that promotes us or demotes us. We never want to get in a place through our own arrogance, in our own self-making and self-believing that we know what's best. Now, this is an extreme example, but after seven years, the Bible said Nebuchadnezzar's mind returned to him. He stood up and walked like a man, and you know what he did? Oh, yes. He said, God is the true God. There's no God but him, and he's to be worshipped, and he's to be served. His son, Belteshazzar, in chapter 5 of Daniel, walked right in his father's footsteps in the negative sense. He got all the vessels out of the house of God of gold and silver that he wasn't supposed to. He knew better than that. And he, and he knew what his father had went through. But he went ahead and got all those vessels out and said, Ah, we're going to have a party and we're going to mock God. And we're going to celebrate. And he did. And there was a hand that wrote over on the wall. And he had to call Daniel in to interpret it. Because of his arrogance, it said, This night, your soul will be required of you. And that very night, Belteshazzar died because of his arrogance. It's, it's a very serious thing. And I'm giving you a couple pretty serious examples. And, I, and there's so many of them all throughout the Bible. I'll give you one out of the New Testament in Luke 18. The rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, honor the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And the young man looked at Jesus and he said, all of this I have done from my youth. And he, uh, Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. 
Because Jesus knew his heart. Folks, don't ever try to hide from the Lord. He knows you better than you know yourself. So you might as well be honest with God. And sometimes it's painful because he knows you very, very, very well. He looked at this man and he knew what was in his heart. And he said, I want you to sell what you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible said, the man walked away from Jesus, head down, very sorrowful. Because he was very rich. And Jesus knew that he was trusting in his own, his own pride, his own ability to keep the word, to keep the law, and to make money and to be rich. And the Lord went right to the heart. God didn't want his money. God wanted his heart. God don't want your money. He don't, God don't need material things. He wants us because he loves us. So I say that in the area of pride, in the positive example of this, a beautiful example is Saul in, in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus met him on the Damascus road and he fell down because there was such a light from God that shined on him. And he was three days blind and God prepared Ananias to lay hands on him and pray for him as he went to a street called Straight, as he went to Damascus. And Ananias laid hands on Saul and his eyes were open and scales fell from his eyes. And he said, Lord, my Lord and my God. And he met the Lord and he humbled himself and God exalted him and raised him up and blessed him and took him on in the kingdom. The many faces of pride. Pride has many faces. It's a multi-headed monster. And first of all, the claimer, he takes credit openly to draw attention to self. You know anybody like that? That uh, they have to be the center of attention. It's I. You can't have a conversation with them because they're too busy talking because it's all about them. Insecurity and pride causes people to do that. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus taught us, Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. As we give in faith and love, and in private and in secret, as we serve and love God and give, we do not have to tell people about it. But the bragger, uh, that one that is the claimer, he, he has to let you know what good deed he has done. But God don't want us to do that. He wants us to trust him to bless us and honor us and promote us. And he will do that. And then B, not only the claimer, but the deflator, brings others down to bring self up. And in conversation, these kind of people, the deflator, he will always bring himself up 
by deflating somebody else and talking about somebody else. Well, statements like, if I did that, I sure wouldn't do it that way. Well, you know, I've learned over the years, people do different things different ways. In our way, you know, it took me quite a while to learn that my way wasn't the only way. Anybody else out there? My way's not necessarily the best way. God's way is what's the best way. And other people, a lot of times, if we would humble ourselves enough to listen, they've got ideas and ways that may work out better than ours. I've learned from my wife, my help me, of 54 years, be 55 in January. I've learned much from her over the years, and she's a whole lot smarter than I thought she was at 20 when we got married. Amen? A lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. A lot of knowing about things that I don't know about. Amen? So the deflator, he brings others down to bring up self. And they they are constantly, I is at the center uh, of their life. And the, the scripture says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And Paul said in Corinthians, they that measure themselves by themselves and among themselves are not wise. We should never measure ourselves by other people, especially in a superior or a better than them or a puffed up way that we know more, we're better than them for whatever reason it may be, because we're all just people. Amen? The rich, the poor, we all meet together, the bond, the free, the black, the white, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have no need to use this area to try to promote ourselves in any way. And see the self-promoter, the bragger, the topper to everyone else's accomplishments, If you ever meet anybody, whatever story you bring up, they're going to top it. They're going to tell you a little better story. They're going to give you a little bit more uh, information than maybe you want. But they try uh, to promote their self by acting like they know everything. I'll give you one example of that. Um, My niece was married to a young man from Florida and uh, he came up here looking for a job. And uh, I worked for a contractor at the time. It was right before I went into the ministry in 1975. And uh, he came up from Florida. And, of course, I talked to him. And he told me he could wire, uh, house wiring. Uh, he could lay bricks. Uh, he gave me a, a list of things that he could do. So I talked my boss into hiring him. And he absolutely did not know nothing I mean, he, he couldn't have laid a brick if his life would have depended on it. He didn't know what a 12-2 wire was from a 14-2 wire. Uh, he couldn't do any of it. So he worked one week and got his first paycheck and quit. So I, I usually, I, I pretty much quit recommending people after that to my boss. But uh, some people just think they know, and especially if they lack self-confidence, they're going to overcompensate on that side. Because to, to, for them to feel accepted and, and to be liked, 
they know a little bit more. They're a self-promoter, uh, and they can do it a little bit better, and they know just about everything. And then uh, the next one, the last one is the self-lover. Uh, I'm my own biggest fan, LOL. Yeah? Anybody in love with yourself? Listen, we are to love ourselves. Amen? We are to respect ourselves. But there's a difference in wrong self-love and right self-love. There's a big difference in between being proud and being a man of honor and character and respect, which we absolutely all should honor ourselves and other people. But, but when it gets into pride, it's a whole different realm uh, when people enter into that realm. And of course, the self-lover, I'm my own biggest fan, the scripture in Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is quick to recognize its faults, and it's eager to correct its faults. But pride is slow to see its faults, but it's quick to exaggerate its accomplishments. Have you seen one of these faces of pride in your own life? And I have at times, and I do at times. But God wants us to walk in absolute humility with him. My wife put together some notes on pride, and I borrowed them from her, as well as I borrowed some from Pastor Matt. And I just want to read you my wife's notes on pride this morning. Because sometimes we have trouble identifying it as we just saw in these four faces, but I think this will complement it a little bit. And uh, she did an awesome job in putting this together. Pride assures us we're not so bad or that we're okay. Pride will not give God his rightful place. It might agree to some help, but it has trouble when it comes to really giving God his rightful place in our lives. We still want to hold on to that last little bit and do it our way. Can I just be gut level honest with you and tell you something I really messed up not too long ago? How many of you are like honesty? Well, it's painful, but I'm telling you the truth. About a year ago, I decided I had to have a different car car's probably been one of my Achilles heels. I've had about 90, uh, built a lot of cars, and 
had a lot of fun with cars over the year. But I never did get so attached to one, I couldn't get rid of it. But anyway, about a year ago, I got the urge for a car. I had a 2014 Buick um, LaCrosse Premier One that had everything on it found. Well, it had 75,000 miles on it. It was in mint condition. But I had to have another car. Did I pray about it? Mm, yeah, but not serious. Did I really ask God about it? Not really. I just wanted that beautiful Lincoln MKZ. So I bought it. And I knew immediately after I bought it. I messed up. Why? Because it cost me about $24,000 in my car. And there was nothing wrong with my car. So now for the first time in 20 years, I'm making car payments. I'm telling you, church, it's so important to stop and ask God, God, what do you want me to do about this house? I've been house shopping with my daughter. My granddaughter just bought one. We've looked at about 12 houses, and they still haven't bought one because we haven't found the one that we believe God wants. Trust God. You can stay. How many of you know that God really wants you out of debt? Do you know that? How many of you believe that that's possible? It is possible. But if you do like I did a year ago, you put yourself back in the slave business to the bank. Now, yeah, I've got enough money in the bank to pay it off, but I shouldn't have done that. I'd have been a whole lot money farther ahead, and I had, I'd have had just as good of a car. So I'm just being honest with you today. Pride will not give God his rightful place. And then pride allows life to revolve around oneself. It's all about me, my schedule, my time, what I want to do, when I want to do, how I want to do. Amen? My wife preached this, and she did a wonderful job on it when I heard her speak it. And then four, pride keeps self on the throne. <laughs> it keeps self on the throne. Oh, it might give in to this or give in to that, but when it's all said and done, it'll keep self on the throne. And then five, pride will struggle to do better, but it won't never really surrender to God. And six, the Lord taught my wife this when she was learning how to submit to God and to me. This is a message she wrote on humility and pride when she was learning how to trust me and trust God through me. And it was a painful lesson at the time. But this is some of the things that she wrote. Pride will all agree to assistance but not surrender. And pride can be very respectable and moral like the Pharisee. And it always wants social approval. And then pride is believing that you achieve what God and others have done for you. And the last one, pride is reserving for yourself the right to make final decisions. And that's what I did with the car. I reserved for myself the right 
to make the final decision. And I did. And I'll tell you something about God. God will let you do it. How many of you know that sometimes God laughs at us? <laughs> Proverbs 1 talks about God laughing at us after we've went ahead and done some dumb thing. How that God will laugh. And I think God laughed at me and said, ah, if you just listen to me, I could have kept you out of that. But oh yeah. But I didn't. So I encourage you, listen to the Lord. Have you seen one of these faces of pride in your own life? And I believe if we're all honest this morning, we can all say, yeah, we've dealt with it. And yeah, we're dealing with it to some degree, ourselves, other people, our family, whoever it may be. Pride is a beast, point number two. Pride is a beast. Our first point, if you didn't get it, was pride has many faces. And point number two is pride is a beast. It grows as it's fed, and it starves when it isn't fed. Pride will dominate a life if we let it. Self-preservation above all. It lashes out at anyone and anything that threatens it. It's like the man who fell off of a cliff and was hanging by one limb. And he said, God, help me. Help me, God. And he heard a voice that said, turn loose. And the guy said, is anybody else up there? And that's the way it is with God sometimes when God's speaking to us. It's very subtle. Satan himself said, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will exalt my throne above God. I will do this and I will do that. And the Lord said, no, you won't. In his pride, God resisted him and his pride brought him down, just like the scripture says. And the third point is pride is an illusion pleasing men over God. As God as our top priority. The pride of life, power and knowledge. 1 John 2.14 Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, he that doeth the will of God abides forever. And listen to me, the world is not your friend. Jesus said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. It's very subtle. It's very deceptive, very slick. But the world is not your friend. And you, the Lord said, we are not part of the world. Just like I was not part of the world, you are not part of the world. So don't love it and love the things of the world. It all fades all the beauty, all the knowledge, it all goes. Even Elizabeth Taylor couldn't maintain her beauty, and she tried so hard, and she was a beautiful woman. But finally, the grim reaper got her. Only God can promote us, and he wants to do that very thing. The irony is, as we promote ourselves, we end up losing. But if we let God... Through our humility, if we lift him up, we come out on top. Jesus said, if any man lose his life for my sake in the gospel, he shall find his life and he shall gain 
his life. I'm going to closing now. And the musicians can come up if you would, please. I also would like for the altar workers to come up if you would, please. And I want to close with this thought on humility because the opposite of pride is humility and humility is what we're after. And I just want to share with you briefly as, as we bring this close service to a close and look at humility this morning and the beauty of humility in our lives. These are the promises God promised you and me if we would humble ourselves. God's eyes are on the humble. How many of you want God's eyes on you? I do. I want God's eyes on me. I want his favor on me. God said he would exalt the humble. He will lift you up. God gives more grace to the humble. That's the divine ability you and I need every day in our life. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Every one of us really and truly, we are as Christians what we are by the grace of God. The divine enablement God gives us in our, in our spiritual strength to make the right choices and to do the right thing as we seek God and follow God. He gives more grace to the humble. Honor shall uphold the humble. God revives the spirit of the humble. The humble becomes the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, as we become humble like a little child. And by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God's desire is to lift you up from wherever you have fallen. Corey Ten Boom in the movie The Hiding Place said these words. As her and her sister were dying, lice infected in prison camps, she wrote these words. She said, there is no pit so dark that God's light can't shine in that pit. And I tell you this morning, I don't care where you've fallen, how far you've fallen, where you're at this morning. It's about, are you allowing Jesus to be Lord in your life? And are you really trusting and believing him? Are you still doing things your way and trying to do things your way? Because I can tell you right now, your way will never produce the good benefits that God wants in your life and for you. If you'll just open your heart to him.